We are live, Mr. Van Dorn. Welcome to Giant Steps, Rudy Landa. It's it's been a it's been a long time. It feels like it's been a month, but it's been what two weeks? Yeah, just two weeks. I think it's felt that that <laughs> way for me because man, this January and into February too, sickness everywhere in the south. It's going think, around. Yeah, I think we got just lucky when we did the two shows because it was like one of these up and down things where you feel like you're getting better and then the next day you're just laying in bed again. Yeah, <laughs> lasted for a month. It was crazy. Yeah, tis the season, my friend. Tis the season. Yeah, we got to get cold, outdoors cold and get likes, some sunshine. That's it. The cold likes the sickness, the uh, the bugs. But where I think we're we're around the corner here in the Carolinas anyway. It's been feeling almost spring like the last few, the last few days. Not for you guys. Do you guys have leaves out? No, not quite. <laughs> not quite. But we're living in the in the low sixties, upper fifties. You know. So we've had a couple sixties. We've also had some like uh, zeros. <laughs> the last couple of years it's been kind of like you know psych you out you know the, the winter starts really really strong you get this vortex and cold and blah 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 and everybody's like oh it's gonna be miserable and then womp womp you know it's kind of it's kind of one of those well, those winter days that i i can't stand in all honesty where, where the, with the, the, the sky is completely overcast for days and weeks right but it's not hot and it's not cold. I will spew the out of my mouth. It's it's basically, you know, just pretty much blah and lukewarm, you know. So, yeah, not 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 my favorite time of the year in the Carolinas. It's <laughs> it's beautiful in the fall, but the winters are kind of just no character to the days, you know. Too many people are moving to Colorado, so all all I'll say publicly is just <laughs> terrible things about it. You don't want to come here in the winter. You don't want to be right. here in the summer, and you don't exactly. want to be here in the fall or the spring. But we keep saying the same thing about about North Carolina, you know. It's much better in Florida. Just keep going south. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> keep going west to California. Plenty of people want you there. Exactly. Exactly. Totally get that. So, what do we have on the? What do we have in in store tonight, Doug? So I thought, uh, you know, it's just going to be you and I. Uh, kind of one. We've. I think we've only done one of these. Talked about yeah. the divine council. Maybe we did two of sure. them, the angel of the Lord or something, but we you know, did I've the had chiastic some people... book of Revelation. Oh, we did that too. Okay, so yeah. I guess I'm losing track. A couple of these. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm the voice of the common men in these. <laughs> You're the common man. I'm probably gonna need you for this tonight then. <laughs> now I've gotten I've gotten questions, you know, a lot of people write me questions. So I thought it'd be fun to answer. I wanted to answer several of them tonight, but the more I dug into this first one, the more I thought this is probably is just a show all by 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 itself. Mm-hmm. And it comes, mm-hmm. uh, the idea comes from, I think, Dr. Heiser, you know, my my friend who died a year ago yesterday, actually. Wow. So it's really Already. hard to believe that it's been a year. Um, yeah. He, he popularized an idea with regard to sin. And so I, that's what I want us to talk about tonight is sin and its origin and really how, how, um, how the, uh, Deuteronomy worldview, the divine council worldview, affects our understanding and in view of sin. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of want to do it with some classic theological categories because I think those are important. And the thing that he did that uh, is so interesting to me that I had never heard anybody articulate it like this before is he said that the doctrine of sin in really Western church history has really fallen on one story. And that's the Garden of Eden story with Adam and Eve and Satan. 
And so it's like we get our entire theology of the doctrine of sin from that story. And then he goes, but really, if you look at it biblically, and then as an Old Testament scholar, he also said, if you look at it um, from rabbinical lenses or from the intertestamental Jewish writings, he said, you actually find three falls, not one fall. And that, you know, that, that's blown a lot of people away. And a lot of people have picked up on that idea. The three falls would be, of course, Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. The second fall would be Genesis 6 and the Watcher story. And this comes especially not just not necessarily from the biblical four verses, but from, you know, first Enoch and ex expansions of that that tell us quite a bit more information. Mm -hmm. And then the third fall would be the Tower of Babel, uh, where we're dispersed because of some great sin that we committed. And in his estimation, it was really the Genesis 6 story that was the origin of evil in the world, the, the true origin of it, the, the epicenter, the, the, you know, the vast expansion of it, or whatever you want to say. And, you know, so this idea, first of all, of three falls, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty mind-blowing. And it's something I think that people need to really think about in terms of taking seriously that these three episodes in the primeval history of our race are all of grave importance to this doctrine of sin. So I agree with him that Protestants have minimized to some degree the Genesis 6 story, probably a great degree that story, and then also the Tower of Babel story. Those two stories are really informed. And in fact, the first story is informed by the Divine Council worldview, who's, who the Satan is, who the Watchers are, you know, who, the, who, the, who it was we were trying to contact, the Tower of Babel. That's all Divine Council stuff, right? Right. So, uh, but as, as he was working this out publicly for folks, he started writing about uh, the doctrine of original sin. And the doctrine of original sin, you could almost call it the doctrine of original guilt. And this is the view that we really get from Augustine, the great church father, the turn of the fifth century, who used Romans um, 5.12 as his verse. This is what the verse says. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so Augustine gets, gets here, and, and Augustine did not uh, read Greek. He only read the Latin. And so there's, there's kind of some problems with that translation that we won't get into here tonight. But he believed that not only did death spread to everybody, which is what the verse says, but that guilt, the guilt of Adam was counted to all men and it did something adam's sin actually did something to each of us it corrupted our faculties to the point where we you know we couldn't <clears throat> we couldn't make non-sinful choices as unbelievers so you know heiser spent a lot of time on his blogs and stuff going through that verse and in in his mind debunking the doctrine of original sin and this has really turned a lot of a lot of people in my circles off because we're all confessional Christians and 
we have a confession of faith that actually spells out the doctrine of original sin. And it's not just Reformed Baptists. I mean, Presbyterians, Lutherans, uh, Anglicans, anybody who has any kind of uh, confessional background, Roman Catholics, the whole deal. It's like the entire tradition is thrown under the bus if you throw out original sin. For those who, for those who may not be familiar with the actual doctrine of, of original sin, define it for them. Well, uh, so in, in the confession of faith, I'll just use my confession of faith because um, I think that gives a, a good summary of it. Um, and it says this, our first parents by this sin. So by this sin, it refers to the sin of Adam. Okay. Mm -hmm. Our first parents by this sin fell from their original righteousness and communion with God. And we in them... That's the key of original sin. So original sin does not just refer to the sin of Adam. It refers to the um, sentencing of all of us in Adam. It's, a di it's different. It's not just his sin, but it's all of us sinning in Adam. That's the idea. Basically the condition of the human race being The human race, right. So what sinner. he's trying to do here is he's trying to explain the origin of sin in all of us, even though we yeah. weren't there. So it keeps going here. Uh, so we in them whereby death came upon all and becoming dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. So, you know, what, Gen what, what Romans 5.12 tells us is that death came upon all because of Adam's sin. That's half of the doctrine. The other half is that what happened afterwards subsequent is that God judged Adam and in judging Adam he judged his posterity as well and because of the curse our faculties our soul our body was now inclined to evil uh, whereas in in Augustine's mind prior to that it was not inclined to evil okay so it's a it's a it's really a judicial before, thing. Before the fall, before Adam's fall, we were not inclined to evil, basically. Yeah, so this is the way Augustine talked about it. So he talked about this in terms of four, four different states that, that people have been in or will be in throughout history. So yeah, before the fall, so the idea is what's, what was our relation to sin before the fall? After the fall, but before salvation, then what is the state of the regenerate person and then what's the state of the glorified person? Okay, so you have four states, four possible states that you could be in. For us, obviously, we couldn't be there before the fall, so that, that doesn't apply. Right. For many, uh, many Christians today, you could be, you, the other three could apply to you. If you became a Christian later in life, then you would be after the fall, but before salvation. Then right. you become a Christian, then you're regenerate, and then when you die, you go to heaven and you're glorified, then that's a third state. Right. So this is how he talked about it. It's really interesting. Um, he said he believed that before the fall, Adam was able to sin and able not to sin. Now you go, well, you know, is he just making that up? Or, or some people say, well, that's, that should be just self-evident. Of course, that's what it was. I don't know how, that it is that self-evident. What we know is that when God gave him the law, he sinned. That's what we know. Right? But, right, because, because at the end of the day, if you really think about it, just the simple fact that Eve gave into temptation, that that in the that disobedience in and of itself is a sin. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, they were able to sin. Right. The question is, were they able not to sin? 
And it's really a hypothetical, and Augustine believed right. that they were able not to sin. After the fall, then... You know, the, you, you, and there's truth to that, because up to the moment that they sinned, they had not sinned, and we don't know how long that was. I agree with that statement, um, but I think it's a little bit more complicated, because uh, before... It, it's it, like, if you look at the timeline of it, they're kind of... They're, they're blissful there. Adam's created. There's nothing happening uh, except for... Um, he's parading animals in front of whatever, but then the law comes and it's like, as soon as the law comes, then the serpent comes in. And as soon as the serpent comes in, they sin. So it's like, it, you don't get the feeling in reading the story that it was, you know, five months or something or 20 years before they send all of a sudden, wow, what happened? You know, it's when like, it, no it law, seems instantaneous. When there's no law, there's no law to break. Yeah, exactly. Well, when there's no law, there's no sin. So how can you be sinful if there's not a law? So in other words, the, the, not, the able not to sin part is actually a little bit more tricky than I think Augustine said. But nevertheless, that's what he said. Okay, mm -hmm. So able to sin, able not to sin. After the fall, Augustine's view is humans are not able not to sin. And this is really, I mean, this is really Romans 3. This is the depravity of humanity. Every, right. you know, no one is good, no, not one. You know, right. their mouths are open graves, their throats are... You know, full of cursing right. and bitterness, all this kind of stuff. Like the, the human condition is evil. Right. Okay, so not able not to sin. Then his view is that once you become a Christian, now you're able not to sin. You're able not to sin. And then when you're glorified, you're unable to sin. <laughs> so there's a difference there between able not to sin, because that means you can sin, but... When you're glorified, you're not able to sin anymore. You're, and it's you're really, moved away from that from that environment where sin is, where sin is in the air, <laughs> for lack of a better exactly. explanation. Yeah. And and actually, my my view is that in the garden prior to the law, when God was walking with Adam, he was in that state. He was in that very kind of a state. Like, right. how could he possibly sin when he's in that state? It was only when God left him that he sinned. So anyway, it's really because of his view of not able not to sin and then his reading of Romans 5.12 that he articulated probably the best of all the early fathers, this doctrine of original sin. Heiser takes objection to it. And a lot of people will say that Heiser must be a Pelagian or something. So I need to define what a Pelagian is for a minute. Because Pelagius was this British monk who was contemporary with Augustine. Augustine lived down in North Africa. So you got this British monk who comes down and, and um, interacts with Augustine and was furious that Augustine would have this doctrine of sin like he had. Like he was ticked at Augustine for this. And essentially Pelagius's view is that every single person is born basically good. And the only reason sin comes is through some sort of um, external force. It's not internal. You're taught it, you know, by somebody or education or, you know, you get it from your parents because they did something to you or whatever the case. But it does not come from you. You are basically good. Everybody's basically good. Yeah. This, this has been rejected by every single uh, yeah. church that's ever, ever lived. But unfortunately, <laughs> it's probably the predominant view of human nature in evangelicalism today. 
even even professing the scripture that says there is none righteous, none that one. Um, so I, I I think that you've got kind of a I think you have a kind of a contradiction going on the way people will talk like that, but then they act like people are basically good. Right, right. But completely, completely agree with you. Um, but I, I would you would you not agree also that at the same time, if you were to pull aside every one of those people that are doing that very thing, and regardless of how they act and how they live, that if you were to sit them down and, and dive into their theology, you would they would agree that they do believe that, that they do believe that the Bible is right when it says none are righteous, no, not one. I think that you would be surprised, Rudy, at yeah. how many people would actually say, no, I don't believe that. I repeat That's it, I my it but I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. believe it. I, I think we're yeah. basically good. And yeah. I think I think Pelagianism has really infected the church, uh, even the church that, you know, you and I are are broadly part of to a you know, it's, it's greater funny. degree than people it, think. It's funny, as just as a, as a side commentary on that, um, I did a, um, I did a, the, the, the documentary that I've told you about many times, uh, Apocalypses, and part of, part of one of those interviews, um, I interviewed, uh, a scholar by the name of, of Tommy Frazier, um, Tom, Gary Frazier, not Tommy, Tommy Frazier was the football player he, from, uh, was, from, from, from uh, fighter, Nebraska. <laughs> oh yeah, he was exactly. a fullback from Nebraska, that's right. <laughs> Nebraska. I'm thinking wow, Joe Frazier. I'm, <laughs> I'm so old. Um, no, Gary Frazier. And uh, one of the things he, he spoke on there was the alarming statistics of what the church in the modern day actually believes. How, what a big percentage of the church does not believe in a literal hell, does not believe in a literal oh, yeah. heaven, yeah. does not believe in a literal Satan, right? And yet at the same time, those same church people every week are singing songs about, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. Well, what are you saved from? If there's no hell, then what, what is it that you're, that you're being if saved there's no from? Sin. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I talk about Pelagianism, so this was a study, you know who George Barna is? I heard the name for sure. Barna was a survey guy like Gallup. I think he's yeah, still probably yeah. doing it. And he kind of came on the scene around the time Willow Creek became popular. Mm -hmm. I think he was actually going to Willow Creek for, for a while. Oh, really? And he started this, uh, he started this uh, basically marketing survey company called the Barna mm -hmm. Research Group. Now this That's was right. back yeah. in, That's this right. was back in either the late eighties or the early nineties. He surveyed evangelicals, liberals, and I think they called themselves, I forget what the third one was, maybe Catholic or something like that. And asked them the question, do you believe men are basically good? And the over, overall number that he gave 40 years ago was 87% believe men are basically good on the survey that he took. Unbelievable. That's I was believers, a marketing major Christians. and I know how that works. So according to the statistic theories of marketing, yeah. you have a 4% plus or minus when you, when you have a sample size that's over 1,024 people or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. So in other words, it's not, it's not it, I think you can have bias there because some people aren't going to answer your stupid survey and right. only a certain kind are going to or whatever. <laughs> right, but nevertheless, 87% right. is crazy. That's a high number, man. It's scary. <laughs> that's like scary eye. Yeah, that's crazy. So uh, it's it's into that idea of kind of modern Pelagianism and s people being spooked that you would hate the term original sin that I think uh, Dr. Heiser wrongly got associated with Pelagianism. He's not a Pelagian. His view is actually almost identical to the Eastern Orthodox view. And Orthodoxy basically believes that, same thing as him, that yes, death spread to all men, 
because all sinned, but each individual is guilty for their own crime and only for their own crimes. Right. Right. Okay. So, uh, you know, I I actually asked Mike at one point in time, like, so do you think that there are people that are not sinning out there? He's like, no, everybody sins. (laughs) (laughs) So in other words, it's like, it's like he basically was saying, you just don't need the doctrine of original sin to, to explain how everybody's a sinner. So I can sympathize with that, but I actually think that I actually think Augustine was probably more right than he's willing to admit on the doctrine. And it's not because necessarily of Romans 5:12, but we need to keep reading this um whole 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 thing. So Romans 5:12 through about verse uh, 18, 19, 20 is this whole argument that you, ha- you can't just read it in isolation. So I'm gonna, I think I'm going to read this for us and then just pick out a couple of things to help people see what we're talking about. So I'm going to start in verse 12 again, which we already read. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So that verse tells us that everybody dies because of the one sin, but it also tells us that all sinned. Now, wait a minute. How could they all sin when there's only one guy there? That, and this is really what Augustine's starting to pick up on. I think Dr. Heiser's minimizing that. But we got to keep going because Paul's not done. And this is actually one of the, one of the more complicated of Paul's... Um, doctrines in in all of his letters you know peter peter himself said you know there's things in paul that are hard to understand (laughs) which is one of the funnier things in the new testament and it's totally true this guy was so stinking genius that he often went in he just started thinking in parenthesis sometimes (laughs) and i think this is one of them so he continued and that that gets and that gets really really uh sticky if especially when you read in the king james man Oh yeah, so we're going to stick with the ESV here. He goes in these tangents, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> exactly. I, pr- I should probably do NIV, but I got the ESV pulled up, so that's cool. Okay, so for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So remember, we just actually just said that. You just said that sin is not counted where there's no law. Right. So the question here is like, what does it mean that sin was in the world before the law was given? Is it talking about the law of Moses? Or is it talking about the law given to Adam? So it seems to be the law given to Moses because the next verse says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So there's a lot going on in in these two verses. Um, So the idea is that people are sinning, somehow they're sinning before the law of Moses comes around. Now, the way I explain this is there's a moral law. And really the 10 commandments are the moral law, but they're given specifically to the nation of Israel. So -hmm. there's probably some peculiarity in the 10 commandments that belongs just to them, but it has always been wrong for all people everywhere to commit adultery. And in fact, all the ancient peoples called that the great sin. Yeah. It's yeah. always been wrong to murder people unjustly. It's always right. been wrong to steal somebody yes. else's stuff. Like every ancient pagan law code has things 
in it to one degree or another that shows that that's wrong. And even the first table of the law, uh, which is the stuff about God, you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain, honor the Sabbath. You know, there's Sabbath stuff that goes on in the Baal cycle. Baal makes yeah. his, his, yeah. his uh, he makes his house in six days and rests on the seventh day. That's a Sabbath idea. Um, you worship, you should have no other gods before me. That's peculiar to Israel because they're not to worship Baal because Baal belongs to these other people. But right. God still got mad at Baal for directing worship to himself instead of to, to the Lord. So I've got I've got two two points that I want to raise with you, but I don't want to interrupt you if you need to get through the to, through the no, reading first. You want to do that first? Okay. It. Yeah. So two things. So um, three really. <laughs> um, let's talk about let's talk about entropy for a second. Entropy. Because, okay. Yeah. Because it seems, it, it seems to me that the Bible kind of marries the two together: the entering of sin into the world with entropy. Would you agree with that or no? Uh, yeah, I think that that's probably generally the case. Okay. So if things get if worse is... over time because of sin. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so my, so my, my first, I just, just something to, just something to point out about the original fall of, of mankind that, 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 that it changed the spiritual atmosphere in, in the planet, in the world, not just, and, and the reason why I bring that up is because I feel like this whole entire conversation about the multiple falls, about original sin and everything else, including the law, the law given to Israel, all of it has its attachments and it's, it can't exist without the, the interpolation of the spiritual realm. Totally agree. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So, so, um, when the Israelites were, um, when the nation of Israel, after the kingdom split and all that stuff, when they would mess up, when they were bad, when they would sin, God would judge them as a nation. You know, they would, he would judge them as a people. So how does that, how does that fall into the, into the concept of, um, you know, like, like being, being birthed already a sinner. Do, do you think maybe God's at that point, the rules apply blanket wise? I mean, they, they, they apply to mankind in general. Um, even even if you are not as an individual sinning, you're just you're you're born already guilty of sinning. You, you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, sort of. Um, yeah. yeah, and you're bringing up a really interesting point that you uh, you know you you can be an individual who may or may not be part of the sin of the nation, but nevertheless you're going to be judged with that nation, even though you exactly. didn't necessarily do anything that was wrong. That's right. actually a great point in favor of original sin that that. Uh, Pelagius really hated like nobody is ever judged for somebody else's <laughs> sin. Well, that's just simply not true. Right. <laughs> All you have to no. do is see any time God judged, uh, you know, Israel in the Old Testament. Absolutely. And you can't possibly tell me that everybody was equally doing evil things. And what's interesting about that, man. Nevertheless, is, they were judged. Right. And what's interesting about that is that often, oftentimes, um, we have plenty of evidence. Uh, we have plenty of examples that that judgment happens in the in the here and now, not necessarily in the in the afterlife. You know, it that 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 judgment that the way God would judge the nations oftentimes would happen as them falling to their enemies and being carted off to you know Babylon. Right. And all this stuff. Right. So what you're dealing with there is you're you, we've got two levels of judgment. You've got an individual personal level 
but then you have a national level of judgment, a corporate level of judgment. Yeah. Yeah. So on an, and this, and this would be my reform theology coming in a little bit on an individual level, everybody is born in a relationship with God, everybody. And we would call that the covenant of works. So mm -hmm. God mm -hmm. gives to each person according to what he has done. That's it's, it's a, it's a works wages relationship. And if you do good, God will give you eternal life. This is Romans two. Right. Um, but that's also applied somehow, some way to the nations around Israel. Okay, because the moral law, like I said a minute ago, the moral law that is encoded in the Ten Commandments, somehow these nations are actually under that same moral, objective, transcendent law, and God holds them accountable to it every bit as much as he holds Israel accountable, which is why you find sections, large sections in many prophetic books that are dealing with the nations around Israel. I'm going to judge Egypt. I'm going to judge Edom. I'm going to judge Ammon. I'm going to judge Moab on and on and on. Well, how can that happen if he's not in some kind of a relationship with them? Would you say, because because I know that this, con this comes up a lot, especially in uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe in apologetics, I, I know it comes up when people say, well, you know, what about the people who've never heard the gospel and they and they die or the people who didn't know you know before the gospel was widespread throughout the, the world right, you know right. is are they gonna are they gonna spend eternity in 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 perdition just because they they never heard they never heard do you think it's possible that maybe that's how god will deal with their fate by going by with that with that ingrained law that 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 is in our conscience innately yeah, let me um, let me take you to a different passage. So this will be yeah. Psalm 19. Okay, uh, and actually the reason I bring this up is because uh, Paul, right in Romans 10, is like, well, haven't they heard? You know, how can they hear unless they? How can they believe unless somebody preaches to them? How can they? You know, unless they? How can they hear unless somebody preaches to them? Right. right. And and Paul's like, well, have they not heard? And he goes, well, of course they've heard. And then he quotes Psalm 19. But what's so weird about Psalm 19 is that it's talking about them hearing about God and his moral law through nature. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. So the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night or night reveals knowledge. There's no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And, and then it kind of gives a little bit of uh you know, heavenly astronomical stuff. And that's what Paul's quoting. And so in other words, Paul's answer to, well, they've never heard is, well, of course they've heard. And because they've heard and they've taken the knowledge that they have and they know what right and wrong is, God will give to them according to what they have done. But the problem yeah. is they've all perverted what God has given to them and they have all done evil. And therefore yeah. the, the wages of sin is death. So nobody right. is put to death for any reason in, in terms of an eternal damnation. Nobody's put to death for anything other than what they themselves have done. Yeah. That's the main, yeah. that's the main argument of Romans. Now that some people say, well, that flies in the face of original sin. 
And it does to some degree, but to another degree, it doesn't really, because all original sin is trying to do is explain that, look, you, we are all somehow, (coughs) excuse me, counted, counted or reckoned as being in Adam when he's in the garden. He is our representative. Right. Okay. Yep. Yep. And in, in other words, if I was there or you were there or anybody else was there, we all would have done the same thing anyways. It's not like, what do you think you're better than him? He was the perfect man in the perfect situation, and he sinned as soon as the law came. It didn't take long. Right. So let me keep reading here uh, in the Romans then. Unless you, do you have any more that you wanted to go on that? No, I think that's interesting. really interesting. I, and, and it's, gosh, we, there's so much, so many examples of that, man. It's, it's like as soon as you're unsupervised, Moses would, Moses would walk up 150 yards up into, into the, to the mountain to speak to God and then start worshiping <laughs> worshiping idols i mean as soon as we're right. supervised we go bad which <laughs> exactly. which is uh, which is kind of a little side application about the importance of fellowship with god you know yeah that, that being out of the there's something about our nature our humanity that the moment we're outside of of that air the spiritual mm-hmm. air atmosphere mm-hmm. where sin abounds we're we as humans we just fall on our faces you know and bro i i believe that a million percent. I mean, that yeah. this is this is Adam in the garden. Adam is created in the garden, and God is with him. God names him. God gives him the law. God is there when he's naming the animals. God is Hangs there when he has him. the woman. And then God leaves. And when right. God leaves and allows the serpent to come in, that's when the sin happens. It's exactly what you just said. Not being in the presence. You know? Yeah, it's exactly right. It's, it's kind of like from the it's kind of like people, you know. I give this illustration of the problem of evil. Evil is not a positive black light shining down on people. Um, it's not a. This is not Zoroastrianism or Yin Yang or something like that. Right. Equal right. good, equal bad. Evil is the absence of light, just like nighttime is the absence of the sun. So God's yeah. presence is light, and as soon as God leaves in the garden, what is there? Darkness. Right. By definition. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and even, and you go a little bit further, you can also kind of work in the application of the importance of the assembly of the saints, like the Bible says, you know. Um, the, 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 I, this is probably the wrong term to use. Not wouldn't be conjuring, it would be the, the invoking of the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know. Um, and so... So it's, you know what I'm saying? Like the, sure. the, the well, um, yeah, because the, this, I mean, this, first of all, the spirit is a spirit of light, but he also indwells believers. And so we each have that light in us as Christians. We're united with Christ, the light yeah. by the spirit. And so right. by definition, uh, the, the corporate aspect of Christians being together is supposed to be exactly what you said. So let me finish uh, verse 14, one more thought on it. So death reigns from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. In other words, what I think this means is that, look, people after the fall, they weren't given the exact law of you can't eat from the knowledge of the tree of, of good and evil, right? Or the tree, of, you know, they didn't have the trees because they didn't have access to the garden. So right. they're... they're Sinning wasn't like Adam. They had different laws. They had the moral law, the the transcendent law. Um, But then it says Adam is a type of the one to come. And this is really, really important for understanding what Paul's going to do from this point on. Because somehow Adam and Jesus 
are identical in some fashion they're identical because adam's a type and a type right. is a is is a mirror image in some way Absolutely. so what is that well it's he's going to go on to tell us so he says the free gift so this is salvation eternal life is not like the trespass okay well how he says well this way if many died through one man's trespass now he's he's only talking about death there i get it that's the same as back in verse 12 much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So somehow, somehow what Adam does results in death for everybody, but somehow what Jesus does abounds to life for the, for this, for the, for the many. Right. Verse 16, I think, is really, really critical for original sin, for the doctrine, because he goes on and he says more than just death. I think verse 15 is really him, Paul, riffing off of death coming, but now he's going to riff off of because I'll send. Well, why do they all send? This is verse 16. Um, the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. He's now talking, not, he's talking about the result of it. What's the result? The judgment. So let's stop there. What's a judgment? It's a judicial pron pronouncement from right. a court of law. Right. It's a judgment. God is throwing the gavel down. He yep. is saying, this is my sentence. Yep. Okay. So there is a judgment following one trespass. And what did that bring? It didn't just bring death. It brought condemnation. Condemnation is a spiritual thing, not just a physical thing. Right. And that is the definition of looking at original sin. It is the guilt it's not that, you know, I think Rome does a good job of this, talking about a different classifications of sin. So you have a sin, a, a baby will be guilty of original sin, but it's not guilty of actual sin because it right. hasn't committed a personal offense because it can't do anything. It doesn't have any moral morality and it doesn't have an ability to respond to the law. And I think that's what's going on here is that there is a guilt, a judicial pronouncement not just that we all die, but the reason we die is because of sin. And sin itself is a moral problem. So there's something that's happening to the whole human race that's beyond just death. It's condemnation. It's guilt. And that's what original sin is. Well, and, and what's interesting, again, not to, not to get off on a tangent here, but what's really interesting is that the tree in the garden was the tree of the knowledge. Of the good knowledge of good and evil. And so... so when we when we talk about for example children babies even though they're born into that human condition the existing precondition of of, of being you know being born in sin um i i believe personally and i know a lot of people do that you probably do too that that those children when they die they don't die in 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 that sin in a in a, they the, their bodies might be in a in a born into a, a sinful race but until they have that knowledge that that account age of accountability of good and even of good and evil god doesn't hold it against their spiritual condition in the judgment of their souls yeah there's differences of opinion on this um yeah. and that goes throughout every one of our traditions you know mm -hmm. we all have all have differences of opinion i tend to think that that's probably right but i'm not 100 i'm not 100 on it what, um, it's what funny would be because 
our, my confession of faith is funny on this because it actually has an answer of what happens to infants when they die. And, it, and the answer is, it's a non-answer. This is why it's funny. Because what it says is all elect infants essentially go to heaven. Well, how's that a non-answer? Because it doesn't tell you how many of them are elect. Is it all of them? Is it none of them? Is it some of them? We have no idea. So it's a non-answer, and it's directly pointed at your question, because does God condemn or judge an infant? And the answer is, well, if they're all elect, then no. If none of them are elect, then they're all going to go to hell. But we believe in a good God and a just God, and he's going to do what's right. And so I, I think it's just it's a funny thing. It's a funny non-answer to the question. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get you. I get you. I, my my um my connection to it is is the the I've been again going back to the the introduction of sin coming as a result of 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 the choice of the knowledge of what's good and what's evil, you know. Yeah. No, I totally see that. You know, add one more thing to the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, when you look later, that that similar language of the knowledge of good and evil, or to discern good and evil comes up with Solomon and it comes up in the in the context of Solomon as a king making judgments from a bench in other words when right. Adam and Eve ate the tree what they were actually doing was making a judgment against God and saying your law is wrong and we're going to disobey your law because it's 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 wrong it's really which, interesting. Which, 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 ironically enough, is exactly how the serpent sold it to them. It, I, I know. It, it, he wasn't lying in that sense. It's, exactly. it's so interesting. Like, it, the, <laughs> the subtlety of the serpent is crazy well, in that totally. story. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so go on with Romans 1, uh, 5.16. So the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. And this is really important, too. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Okay, well, why does that matter? Because justification, this is like, this is why I'm a Protestant and not a Roman Catholic. Right. Justification does not mean that I am, I have been made righteous. It means I have been declared righteous. There's all the difference in the world in those two things. Absolutely. Okay, right? So from a, from a court of law, the court of heaven, God has thrown down his gavel and said, I will not the law does not see you as guilty, even though you are. Now, if these are in parallel, then that means that the condemnation has to be a similar sort of a way. You may not be personally guilty, but the court is going to view you as guilty because you are in Adam, whereas I am not viewed as guilty because I am in Christ. Exactly. And that's what he's saying. And that's uh, that's pretty hardcore doctrine that's, that's of original really sin. Well, that's very <laughs> loaded, very very loaded, because that completely just obliterates every well, obliterates the the secular argument uh, and 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 reinforces obviously the biblical argument that that it doesn't matter how good you are, man. It does not matter how good you are. It's not the by and and it says you know saved by grace, not by works, so that nobody that's can exactly brag. right. And what's interesting is that yes, we are declared righteous right we're declared new creations or whatever but the interesting thing is then paul goes and gives us two-thirds of the of the new testament and saying okay you've been declared righteously but you have to live like this you know because you have to represent your righteousness correctly that's exactly right and and what he does is and i tell this to people um the 
the milk and the meat. You know, a lot of people, the way, especially the way that sermons are delivered these days, you would think that the milk is do good, don't do bad. And that the meat is the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of soteriology, the doctrine of election. Nope, it's exactly the opposite. Exactly, exactly. It's the other the, way around. The, meat, the milk is your theology. The meat is your ethics. Because, yeah. And it has to be that way because only a person who understands their position in Christ and what he's made them is able to respond properly without becoming either legalistic or some kind of a antinomian who just says, well, who cares to hell with it all? Right. Exactly. You, you, you have to give it. You, in essence, you end up giving it its worth, its value. It's, 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 it's our... It's our it's our appreciation in action, not not because we're trying to earn it, but because we're saying, hey, man, that was a steep price. You paid for it. This is how I need to this is how I need to honor it. Exactly. Exactly. Well said, man. I'll finish. Uh, so Paul keeps doing these over and over. He keeps giving these two comparisons. Yeah. And that's because of the type Adam and Christ, the type. So verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. So it goes back to death. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And that's the reigning in life part is what we just talked about. Yeah. We reign in life. And because we're living and we're full of life, we have eaten of the tree of life. We can now obey. Whereas before we couldn't. Right. Then he goes, uh, verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So the one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Yep. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the man's one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous so that we were made sinners because of what Adam did. And we will be made righteous now, not just declared righteous, but made righteous when we get to heaven. So, you know, you have any last thoughts about that before we kind of go on just a little bit with no. the Gen 6 and no, 11 no, stuff? I'm right there with you. It's good stuff. And, um, okay, so Dr. Heiser talked about something here. He goes, um, when you look at intertestamental literature, you will see that they m basically maximize the story of Gen 6, uh, and that becomes the dominant theme of where sin comes from. Now, I think he actually overstates this quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because there's actually entire books written about just Adam and Eve and their sin. The Life of Adam and Eve, The Apocalypse of Moses. There were plenty of books that were written in those days that talked about Adam and Eve and their fall and what it did. So if anybody's heard that, I just want to say, yeah, I think that, I think, I think that that's not quite as true as what he wanted to say. <laughs> and that's why I'm spending most of the time here kind of defending this idea of, of original sin and that and that there, it really, really is fundamentally important what happened in the Garden of Eden. It's not like it's, well, the really good stuff is what happens, or bad stuff is what happens in Gen 6. No, the whole groundwork was laid in Genesis 3. And, and Mike would have agreed with that part sure, of it. Sure, sure. Yeah. So 
when you come to Genesis 6 then, it's like, how, how do you deal with this? So on the level of the scripture, you have four verses and then you have all of a sudden the flood comes because all flesh has corrupted itself. And, you know, in the standard Sethite interpretation, you just think, well, they're just marrying Christians or marrying non-Christians. And, and it's just kind of, you know, you go to Jesus, they're eating and drinking. They're just kind of being good secularists, whatever. It, you just don't get this, this um, understanding of the true depths of depravity that had to have been going on for oh, yeah. God to wipe no, off the entire face of the earth, right? Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> So and, this and the is thing where, is, if you yeah. if you look at the world where it is where it is now, like the the, the level of depravity that we <clears throat> that we see around us, and we're not flooded yet, but he said he wouldn't flood us, but we're not, we haven't been destroyed yet, right? Burned. Then, <laughs> then, then it kind of gives you a, an idea of how bad, just how bad it had gotten. You know, it's amazing to think about. I don't know how much you've thought about this, probably a lot, but just in the last two three years, how exponentially more evil our society has become yeah and, and it's, it's a matter and of it's months. crafted evil and it's crafted it's yeah. not just you know it's it's deviant it's forth like you know planned and strategized evil yeah you know and it and it um and it's affecting people where they wouldn't even think that it affects them they they don't even realize they're like you said they're breathing in the air of sin and they're not able to extricate themselves from it. And so they just kind of go along with it. They just capitulate to it, but they don't really think that they are because I'm a Christian. Right. 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 So where we get the majority of our information about what happened at the Genesis 6 story is really from books like Jubilees or First Enoch. Mm-hmm. And I really think the Enoch stuff is fascinating because it doesn't tell us that men are sinners because of the Watchers, but what it does say is that men got some help. (laughs) Basically, the watchers come down. Azazel teaches us warcraft, the making of swords, all this stuff. And then it just starts naming angel after angel after angel. This angel taught us um, to think about the stars. This angel taught us about makeup and and wearing of, you know, fashionable clothes. This angel taught us about the writing, uh, you know, writing down books. And it just goes on and on. Narcotics and it does not put this in a good light. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Narcotics. And, yeah, that's right. Medicine. Um, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's funny, man. So um, it's like people read that and they go, people, re- people read that and they go, um, they go, well, so is writing a book evil then? Because the Watchers taught it to us? And no, that's not the point. <laughs> no. That's not the point. And wearing makeup isn't evil because the Watchers taught it to us. Right, um, right. Having a sword, carrying a sword, defending yourself is not evil because the Watchers taught it to us. But what it is, I think, what's going on here is that they somehow were giving to us seeds of information that probably have roots in the spiritual realm and not in our realm. Absolutely. And we're not able to handle that information the way that we should, and we pervert it, and they knew we would pervert it to our own destruction. I read a book years ago, I mean years ago, uh, called Anthem by uh, by Ayn Rand. Mm. And um, it, was a, it was a really interesting book. I might have read it in high school. It's been that long. <clears throat> I don't remember. But the, the entire premise of the book is it's a dystopian society in the future. And they've completely removed, obviously, very anti, you know, probably Soviet era type of writing, you know. Right. Um, but they had completely removed in this utopian society the con- concept of the word I 
or you. And it had been completely replaced with we. Uh-huh. The collective. Okay? The board. The collective. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and all these events transpired throughout the whole entire book and everything. But at the very, very end, they discovered the word I. And it was like it was like everything fell into place and it facilitated everything they'd been wanting to communicate, everything they'd been wanting to express, et cetera, et cetera, because they figured out the concept of 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 the singular, you know, it almost feels to me like that was the 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 same facilitating that the watchers gave a sinful race. It's like they, they were just they were just they knew there was something there. They knew there was something more that would help them express their evil tendencies. And the watchers gave him just enough, just enough to of a, of a springboard to go down those roads. It wasn't per se again, like you said, that like necessarily that na- that makeup was bad or that medicine was bad or that writing was bad or whatever. But it was like here are the tools that you can have to unpervert everything. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we know you can take the same tools and use them for good, but we also know that you're not going to. <laughs> exactly. You know, when you said that about Ayn Rand and her book, yeah. I. I thought immediately of Neil Peart because yep. he was a huge Ayn Rand, Ayn was Rand really? fan. Oh, yeah, he <laughs> read it all the time. Oh, and really? then I thought of 2112. I didn't know that. Yeah. 2112, yeah. where, where you know, you've got these priests of the temples of Syrinx, and it's all collective sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden, this one guy, he goes into this cave, and he finds this strange thing there. And it's like this, it, it, he picks it up, and it and it starts playing this amazing music. And... You know, it's the exact same thing. It's exactly where he totally got that from Ayn yeah. Rand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's cr- that's crazy. And then you I had think no about idea. How... Oh, yeah, bro. I knew and then he was a thinker. You know, rock and roll. Oh, he was a genius. It was yeah. This is one of the reasons why Rush is kind of endlessly fascinating to me because, yeah. because he, was, he was a deep, deep thinker. Yeah, absolutely. Um, rock and roll can be used for good things, but, of course, we all know it's, a, it's the perfect metaphor for what you're talking about that it can be so easily perverted for evil even though it it itself is not an evil thing it's just part of god's creation yeah it's the definition of what we're talking about what's the what's the line from it what you know you see all these these uh questionnaires on facebook that say you know name an awesome rock and roll lyric that you love and i'm not i i like i mean obviously i appreciate rush like every every rock and roller you know you, you appreciate me even dirty i've never been a mega fan of rush but every time that that i read that questionnaire you know name a an amazing memorable lyric rock and roll lyric i always say if you choose not to decide you still have made a choice <laughs> <laughs> exactly i will choose free will exactly. we're gonna have to talk about that a little yeah, bit yeah. on another yeah. show <laughs> yeah, totally <laughs> oh man so you know anyway the i, I think that the genesis sixth thing is really important for the exacerbation of evil the the multiplication of evil yeah um it's not it's not like we couldn't have done it on our own i don't think but we had help and it's very clear that that help led to really really terrible places and god destroyed the entire earth because of it the last one is the tower of babel of course and this is greatly minimized and it it really shouldn't be because you know you, there's no doubt that you have these three epic falls within eleven chapters, and then that sets the stage for all the rest of human history. Yeah, right. <clears throat> so what happens in the Tower of Babel? Well, it's really uh it's really humanity going back to the Garden of Eden. It's really kind of interesting because if the Garden is a 
um, a mountain, a cosmic mountain, and you have the the divine council as being part of it. And that's where the divine council meets. And Adam's given a seat on the council and he's kicked off of it and he's kicked out down into the plains below or whatever and not allowed to go back on the cosmic mountain. He's not allowed to go into the garden. Well, what's Tower of Babel? This is man trying to get back to the Tower of Babel his way and not God's way. And of course, the way that we do that necessitates that we call upon the fallen Elohim, the gods, the fallen yep. angels, and we start ma re, re, uh, making contact with either older entities or the Olympians that threw the Titans into Tartarus or whatever the case it is. And it's like, <clears throat> this becomes, God knows, it's like we, we've already done this once, so I'm going to have to scatter you and and confuse your language so that you can't do it again because I can't have that situation um, on the earth until perhaps the end of all things when he might bring it back. But can you can you give a little bit of <clears throat> for, for the for the common man <laughs> whom I represent? Um, can you give a little bit of the because the because the Bible. I mean, they, the the Genesis just jumps leaps and bounds and doesn't worry about the time frame that went on and and the the repopulating of the earth and all this stuff. But can you can you give a, a brief a brief narrative maybe of of post flood? You know, the, God destroys the, the world, and obviously we don't know exactly how long it happens. I don't think we do between between that and the Tower of Babel. It happens right. almost immediately in the in, in Genesis. But lay out the lay out the the situation. The the world had repopulated. Well, maybe not had, necessarily the whole world. Um, mankind, I'm sorry, mankind is what I, what I what I mean to say. Mankind had repopulated to at some least degree. The, yeah, there's no there's no doubt we've we've repopulated to some degree. I mean, it, the problem with uh, you you can't give a a tight time frame because there could be all kinds of gaps going on in the genealogies because they're really symbolic. The numbers that they give, like ten generations from. Uh, Noah to Abraham or 10 generations from Adam to Noah. That's symbolic stuff. Um, and I, I get I get the answers in Genesis and stuff will come back and say, but it tells you when they died and everything. Okay, that's fine. Um, but what we do know enough is that there's this, I think that it's five generations down, something like that from from Noah. Okay. Now, if you just if you just take... I mean, just take the most conservative way you could possibly do it. You know, these people are living to be hundreds and hundreds of years old. Right. They're having tons and tons of kids. Right. And even if, you start off with, right, even if you start off with just three, within five generations, you have plenty of people, at least in one particular area, um, you know, wherever, Middle East, wherever they, wherever they built the tower, for this to have been a real problem, you know, whether or not there was other people all over the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that well, yeah, necessarily so, matters, so, but, but yeah, there so, was enough people there. And then God most like my, my guess is that it wasn't like the whole earth was filled with humans again, but this area enough, yeah. had so much stuff going on. They had been able to rebuild civilization. They had built rebuilt cities. Um, they, they were starting to get into art and, and music and all the things that they were doing before the flood. And it's like, all right, it's time now to investigate what happened and see if we can't recreate it. So the basis of my question, which thank you for, for answering that, but the basis, I guess the reason why I'm bringing that up is kind of to drive to the next point, which is to say, and, and you, I think you're starting to talk on it, 
what drove them to go to that next level again? Because because you would think you would hmm. think that the stories coming down from Noah from their ancestors, <clears throat> I mean, they're not as removed now to all that like like the population that got wiped out was to Adam, right? <clears throat> you have a whole. You would think you would that you think, have a much right. more clear sure. understanding, y'all. God destroyed the world, and we're the only ones that survived. Let's be good, right? <clears throat> but all of a sudden, something happens that all of a sudden has them knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door again. What, what do you would you do you think? Do you think that it was the stories about the the way the world was before the flood that that maybe started seeming appealing to them? Okay, so let's just look at, think about the text itself. So before the flood, and I forget yeah. the exact verses and, and exactly what it says, but the God gives a, a pronouncement of the nature of humanity, and he says, I'm going to destroy you because every thought of your heart is only evil all the time. Well, God makes the exact same pronouncement after the flood when he gives the rainbow covenant, and he says, Never again will I destroy all of humanity, even though I know that every single intent of your heart is only evil all the time. Yeah. That's why uh, Genesis 3 is so important to understand that, right? And then you have immediately after that, you have kind of a, a if you think about the flood episode as um, kind of a returning to Genesis 1, where, you know, everything is covered in water and then the land comes up and, and, and the man is given, you know, brand new, new life. life over the, the whole thing is, it's recapitulating Genesis 1. Well, guess what happens? Noah goes into this vineyard and he plants a vineyard, he gets drunk and he immediately sends with his most likely grandson, Canaan, or is, no, no, it's sorry. It's, it's Ham who sends with his wife, Noah's yeah. wife, right, and Canaan right. is the product of it. Right. And the point is that that is de is de is depicting for us Genesis 2 and 3. It's the right. fall. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. It's in other words, it's not like it's not like men even when they know only 5 generations ago the entire world was completely obliterated. Our propensity is to deny that badness inside of us and to deny that God actually had anything to do with what happened. And you can see it in Ham himself. And you can see it in Canaan himself and in the entire rebellious lot that come from them yeah. that they, they never uh, seem to have had any kind of care to follow God in righteousness. And my yeah. guess is that they, they probably preserved the pre-Diluvian evil stuff themselves. And it was just, it, it had gotten to the point, you know, the knowledge of the watchers, whatever, it had gotten to the point where now the cities were big enough and, and they didn't have anything else to do and they were <laughs> complacent and they're bored. And so what are we going to do? Well, hey, man, somebody, why don't you go dig up that stuff that Ham told us about? You know, that kind of <laughs> that kind of an idea. <laughs> right. right. All of a sudden it started to seem very appealing. We've exactly. heard the old stories. Exactly. You know, it, yeah. it was the golden age. I mean, the Greeks talked about <clears throat> before the flood is the golden age. It's really only the Bible that says this was not a golden age, man. This right. was hell on earth. So that's it just seems, the way it seems to me like even even when we start when you know when we start nerding out and talking about things like the chimera and whatnot, it seems like a lot of those a lot of that folklore was actually romanticized into existence from a nugget of truth 
like for example right right, right. the chimera well, they're doing for it again today yeah yeah that's what transhumanism is all about romanticizing exactly. yep. only good can come from this right exactly now, what, the, what the, could possibly go wrong <laughs> right so to... so if, if at a certain point there had been some kind of a you know you there there was some kind of a physical little birth little literal birth of something that was you know this abomination part part animal and part you know immortal or whatever and had some you know a, a hoof sticking out of a, a, a deformed body or something they took it and romanticized it into being this elegant centaur or this elegant you know minotaur or and so it, it seems to me that the, the same pattern follows exactly like you said that was the golden mm -hmm. age and it mm -hmm. was actually not that it was mm -hmm. it was a real really really bad place exactly exactly and it probably was even tower babel was probably pretty bad for most people it was just the elites who were able to have power over their slaves to create the thing in the first place that exactly. wanted this and god said you're not going to do it so <laughs> it becomes the it becomes the third fall and that becomes the spread of humanity and the and the the beginning of the uh, 70 sons of god being given over to the 70 nations and you know, that becomes the storyline for the rest of scripture. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. There's my, there's my kind of long answer to how do we deal with, you know, this idea of Genesis six and our anthropology, the doctrine of sin and, and, uh, you know, Genesis six is not the beginning of the doctrine of sin, but it is a multiplication of it. Yeah, um, yeah, and with absolutely. from external forces, but we cannot minimize Genesis three. I don't think the Jews minimized Genesis three, although they certainly didn't talk about it as much as we do. At least some of us do. Yeah. Um, but it's there and it's real and it's important. Paul talks about it. It's more than just that we die. It's that we're condemned. Yeah. And you know this has implications for for humans from Adam's two sons, Cain and Abel, right? Yeah. All the way oh, yeah. to the yeah. very last person that's born. And it's it's amazing, man, because it, it, it just seemed like you're like hearing you talk about it and when I what comes to my mind is that in in, in talking about all this and in un, unpacking it, um it just keeps underscoring over and over and over again humanity's need for a savior. You know? Mm -hmm. At every at every turn, at every chance we ever got, we messed it up. <laughs> Our, our natural tendency and how ultimately the only solution was is and will always be um was the gift of god the gift of his son yeah it's a beautiful thing that jesus is. is never called the second um pay leg if you think that he was maybe the guy around tower babel he's not right. called the second noah right but he is called the second adam yeah and he's called the last adam and the reason yeah. why is because exactly what you said adam fell all these other representatives, whether it's Noah or Moses or Levi or David or Abraham or, you know, Peter, not a representative, but it, <laughs> you go into the new, they all fell. Every one of them, yeah. Yeah. every single blasted yeah. one of them. And yeah. the prophets, they all fell. The priests, they all fell. The kings, they all fell. You and I fall. None King of us Solomon, stand. The wisest man ever. <laughs> wisest man ever. Probably the most perverted of all of them <laughs> in some ways and and idolatrous i mean he he ended up Absolutely. worshiping his his wife's gods <laughs> it's it's amazing so yeah. you're exactly right without jesus i mean there is no hope for anyone yeah. he's he's the god man he the god man the the second adam but the one who 
breached it because he actually is God himself in human flesh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's good stuff, man. You know what? You know what we always say? It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. And I can love I, it, man. It's it's can, so much fun to be able to dig deep into the scripture and try and, and you know, not just talk about weird stuff, but talk about very important, normal, like we said, milk doctrines. I love it. Can I take a, a small liberty real quick, Doug? And I'm, it's not it's not like me to to really to really do this, but for some reason I'm kind of feeling it right now. And go for um, it. I um I I'm not going to get all Pentecostal on you. And say I feel like somebody's tuned in and is watching this right now. I'm not, I'm not going to go there, but <laughs> but I do know that I have a lot of friends of mine that are that are coming by from time to time and checking out these new ventures and stuff and. Um, if, if if you have been watching and if you have been looking at this and you know me, I'm your friend. You've probably seen me at my best. You've probably seen me at my worst. And um, and I just want to underscore what we just talked about right now. You know, um, we're not good as a race, as humans. We're just not good. All of us need a savior. And God wants to adopt us out of that out of that sinfulness of ours. And, um, he wants your heart. He wants your heart. And I want you to know, and I'm saying it here publicly, I have given mine to the Lord. I have, and I'm not perfect and I mess up and I have my, I have my, uh, my bad days like everybody else. But as your friend and as your new friend, if you, if you're coming up and coming around, checking us out, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to miss an opportunity to tell you that Jesus loves you more than ever especially in these the bible says that we're where there's an abundance of sin there's an overabundance of grace and and we need that during these days that we're living in the world has become a really evil place and um i just feel like telling you that tonight that jesus loves you and jesus wants you to give him your heart and when when you do it'll be the most amazing journey that you'll ever ever encounter and um and 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 making making a, a, a profession of faith and asking him into your heart and giving him your heart and asking him to be your Lord will be the best thing that you will ever do. So thank you for humoring me, Doug. I uh, I appreciate it, but you know, I, I really you know, felt I think about, to say that. I think about Christians, and I, I really think, Rudy, that there's a lot of Christians out there who don't believe God loves them. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, they don't act like God loves them. They don't um, They don't talk like God loves them. They don't talk like what Jesus did for them and what they say they believe makes a difference in their life. Yeah. They they have they they have a almost a tyrannical view of the Father. Yeah. Um and maybe a hippie view of Jesus. They've completely <laughs> divorced who the who the uh the persons of the Trinity are from one another, both in yeah. their justice and in their love. And God loves you, Christian. He absolutely does, and we need absolutely. to wrap that around our heads more than ever in these days. It's yeah. a good word. We're a very, we're a very, coming from the church, we're a very condemnation-oriented people, you know? And, and again, it's not that our sin needs to be trivialized. It doesn't. Sin is sin. God hates it, but he hated it so much that he gave us Jesus, you know? He paid a steep price for it. And uh, and yeah, Doug, I, I could not I could not agree more. I feel so many Christians have just absolutely given up in what they set out to originally be because they have been so over condemned. You know, it's a it's a strange thing I think, Rudy, that um, when you believe that 
so they, I mean, it can go in different ways, but when you believe that you're basically good, it kind of takes, like you said at the beginning, it takes away your need to even know, why do I even need to be saved? Right. But when right. you believe that you're that you're totally depraved, that you really are a bad person. Your nature. That can lead in two different directions. It can become totally self-condemning and you never get out of that. Sure. And you're not able to accept Christ's love for you, that he loved you when you were a, when you were a sinner. When you were his enemy, he loved you and he died for you. Yep. But <clears throat> the right response to it, we do this in our church every week. Yeah. We have confession of sin at the very beginning of our church. We publicly confess, and then we privately confess. And the reason we do that, we do it before we sing a song, because <clears throat> I really believe that the, one of the reasons people are so judgmental is because they're not able to grasp their own sinfulness, their own personal sinfulness. Yeah. And the, the world sees us as judging them, and it's not wrong to judge sin. That's right. that's the lie. Like people right. think that, okay, right. well, so you're going light on sin. No, that's not it at all. It's that you have to get this in the right order. It, right. Judgment starts with the house of God, as Peter said. Correct. I'm the one who's the sinner before you are. Yes. Take the speck out of, take the log out of my own eye before I go looking at the plank in yours. And when you do that, you're able to have a different attitude towards the sinner even while you're still able to explain that, yeah, this is not right, this is not good. Whereas judgmentalism, it doesn't have the ability to look inward at itself. It can only look outward, and it leads to that kind of condemnation that brings, you know, like Paul said, it, it, brings about, um, it brings about the blasphemy of other people because of the things that you're doing. Yeah. And, and you're not the, willing to admit it. Such a, such a, um, such a nuanced and such a, um, a subtle tool of the enemy because he revels in in being a condemner it's a very good tool once he's once he's you know lost the ownership of your soul when you've given it to god then all he has left to do is just to condemn you and put this gigantic all he can do. he's the accuser magnifying glass on every single little thing that you do yep. you know the accuser think about that he's the accuser that's his title yeah but yeah. the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down yeah yeah that's why he's justification lost. so important we 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 are we are counted as righteous, reckoned as righteous, yeah. declared righteous, even though we're not. And it's a it's the most crazy, gracious, uh, inexplicable thing that I can ever put my mind to thinking to. Yeah. Thank you for humoring me on that on that tangent. <laughs> it's good stuff, man. Yeah. I hope you all enjoyed the show and and uh, we hope you're you're enjoying Giant Steps and yeah. If you do, you know, tell other people about it. Click the thing, do the thing, thing with the like button, whatever. Smash that like button and subscribe. Such a dumb thing. Just share this. Just just, just share it. Just tell people about just it. You know? people. If you yeah, like exactly. it, tell people about it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>